0: welcome to next on the t with chris mascaro where pga and lpga players legends and the top instructors in the game share their insights and playing lessons join chris every tuesday night as he talks with the greats of the game tonight's show is sponsored by the french lick resort the pga tour superstore the bobby jones apparel company ben hogan golf two under taylormade golf and Golf Pride. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro.
1: Good evening, folks, and welcome to this week's edition of Next on the Tee. I hope everyone is still staying safe and everybody is healthy. Can't thank you enough for coming back and being a part of the show again tonight. I got a stellar lineup in store for you over the next 90 minutes. So, you know what? Sit back, Relax and let us take your mind off everything else going on in your life. My first guest is going to be Joe Daly. Joe won the 2012 Senior Players Championship holding off Freddie Couples, Tom Lehman, Mark Kalkovecchia, Bernard Longer, and our good friend Olin Brown. He made a mile worth of putts that week, including in the final round, and we're going to talk about that, plus what it was like sleeping on the 54-hole lead in a major, what it was like battling against those guys on Sunday, and how that win changed his life. Looking forward to having Joe back with me. He'll join me in just a few minutes. Following him, I'll get a return visit from TrackMan Master Professional and Plain Truth Instructor Andy Trainer. Going to get you some more drills that you can do at home to keep your golf swing in tune. Plus, we'll get some short game tips, you know, for those rare occasions that we miss the green in regulation. Andy's a great guy and a lot of fun. Really looking forward to having him join me again at the bottom of the hour. Following him, I'll get a return visit from Golf Magazine Top 100 Instructor Tim Cusick. Want to get some drills from Tim as well? Along with tips for how do we get out of the fairway bunkers? How do we hit a nice crisp shot and have that ball land where we want it to? We'll find out about that. Plus how to know if we have the club face in the proper position at the top of our backswings. Looking forward to having Tim back on the show. He'll join me about 45 minutes from now. Then we'll round out tonight's show with a return visit from our good friend Paul Grandguard. Paul is now the CEO of Fairball Woolen Mill up in Minnesota. They make great wool blankets, scarves, and other accessories. They're teaming up right now with the Minnesota Twins to turn the Twins' Homer hankies into face masks for local hospital personnel. So we'll hear that story and catch up with Paul about an hour from now. So there you have it, folks. More great stories, tips, and information coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the T. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. want to start out by saying hello to my friends Mitch and Matthew Lawrence and reminding you about their great shows. Please check out Mitch's podcast. It's called Talking Golf Getaways, which you can stream online at GolfTripX.com. And again, that's the letter X, so GolfTripX.com. It's also available on Audioboom, Stitcher, and Player.fm. Mitch and his co-host, Darren Bunch, they take you around the U.S. and Canada to some of the great places you can go stay and play. Plus, they also let you know about some of the hidden gem courses that you might not be aware of. So go online to GolfTripX.com and check out their podcast. Matthew's show is called Backspin Golf. It's my regular Sunday morning, 8.03 a.m. Eastern tea time. You can stream the show live by going online to WLXG.com or download the WLXG app. He kicks off the show every week with our good friend Perry French in the first segment. So a lot of great tips and content you know is going to come to you right out of the gate on the show. Matthew also has a lot of other great guests every week, and he's a a wonderful friend and a fantastic host. Go check out the show again. It's Backspin Golf on ESPN Radio WLXG and WLXG.com. Please also check out our friends at the Bobby Jones Apparel Company by going online to bobbyjones.com. They've got their new spring collection out right now. They've got their new spring sweaters, polos, and pants that are all fantastic. And you're going to see Steve Stricker, Miguel and Alan and Ernie Els wearing them out on the Champions Tour. Check it out online by going to bobbyjones.com and enter the coupon code ONTHETE to save 20% at checkout. And folks, this segment of the show is brought to you by Made Sim, featuring the Sim Driver, designed with a new radical head shape to make the driver both fast and forgiving where you need it most on the downswing. Sim Irons with an improved speed bridge and echo dampening system to deliver a distance iron with forge-like feel. And the Sim Fairway Woods with low CG to help you hit it higher, and a V-steel sole to launch it even easier out of any lie. Go get fit for Sim throughout your entire bag and experience the effect it's going to have on your entire game. Check it out online at tailormadegolf.com for more information on the all-new Sim family. All right, now back with me is 2012 Senior Players Champion Joe Daly. Let me remind you about Joe's background. He's from Chestnut, Pennsylvania, which is right outside of Philadelphia. Played his college golf at Old Dominion University. He helped lead Old Dominion to a second-place finish in the 1983 Sun Belt Championship. As a senior, he won three tournaments and was named All Sun Belt Conference. He was twice named Team MVP. He turned pro back in 1991. In 96, he finished sixth at the BC Open on what's now the Corn Ferry Tour. In 97, he won the Louisiana Open, and in 2005, he won the Wichita Open. He qualified for the Champions Tour in 2011. Recorded his first top five in a major, finishing fourth at the 2012 Senior PGA Championship. Later that year, he won the Senior Players Championship in my hometown of Pittsburgh at Fox Chapel Golf Club. He won by two strokes over Tom Lehman, by three over our good friend, Olin Brown. In 2014, he finished tied for third at the Shaw Charity Classic. More recently, he finished tied for 23rd at the 2017 Senior Open Championship. And I'm very honored he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Joe, thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me, Chris. With everything going on in the world right now, what's it like up there where you're at in Pennsylvania? How you dealing with all of this?
2: Well, I've got uh, six wood piles. I've got enough wood for uh, all of next year right now. And uh, I actually ended up buying an old 96 Ford F-150 to keep me busy to get it dialed in and taking the doors apart. And <laughs> I mean, we're, it's, it's uh, ridiculous. I, I, I need something to do or I go stir crazy. My wife actually said that was one of the best things I could have done was buy this old truck and <laughs> tend to it. <laughs> Some of those bolts are pretty tough to get off on a 24-year-old vehicle. <laughs> but uh, we're doing well. We're, uh, we're, we're hanging in there like everybody else. It's, uh, I I mean, I wish I could die. I saw a kiddo yesterday when I was at the, on, uh, well, actually right at the Capitol on the stairs of the Capitol. After we we left, I saw a kiddo in a tightless hat. He was all dressed up, ready to go play golf. And he had a sign that he wanted to play golf. And he plays a junior program and it, it, you know whatever the program was his, his wife said and I or his mom said and I said uh, I said well hey I said buy Ben Hogan's book Fundamentals of Golf it was printed back in 57 that's the one that's the book I've referenced my whole life so uh, she said I will and uh, and he was all excited just to be out and about and uh, it, it's got to be crazy for these kids because I know a, well, one of my best friends here <clears throat> his son's plays on the University of Delaware team and and all their tournaments were canceled and they finished their school online. And it's just, it's disappointing, Um, not just in golf, but in all sports really. And, you know, uh, but that's what our politicians are telling us what to do. So uh, it's very difficult for my wife and I to take because we're not, you know that's not how we were you know you take risk in life and everything you do is a risk like <clears throat> example you're standing there on a par five and two you got 247 yards over the lake well what are you going to do you're going to step up and set up and rip that three wood and knock it on the green or you're going to lay up over there to the right with with an eight iron and then hit sand on the green i mean I, I, I just think they've way overblown this. And I have people in my family that are, now <clears throat> I have three nurses that are four actually that are in, yeah, they are nurses. And, um, and my one uh, sister-in-law, she's, uh, they're probably going to be cutting her back and uh, cutting her hours back because they don't have, there's not as many people coming in. So it's kind of crazy to. Have the politicians say what they're saying and then and, and, uh, imposing their will upon us on saying, Oh, we got to close these businesses. You can't do this or that. Wear a bandana. You can't go play golf. Uh, and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really concerned about it, but I'm hoping it'll change quick because, uh, my pro I talked to. He said that he's hoping on May eighth where they're going to open up back the golf course because everything. I mean, nothing's going on. They, you know, they've cut the greens and mowed the fairways and <clears throat> and stuff, so it doesn't get overgrown. they tending to it, but but nobody's there. The whole place is closed down.
1: So when they open up on May eighth, is he giving you any indication of is it going to be social distancing and one guy to a cart and you know no balls go into the hole and all that sort of thing? What's 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 golf and life going to be like on May eighth?
2: Well, from the guys that I've talked to that I know, um, like I talked to one friend, my friend in North Carolina, okay, four guys drive out to play golf, they're all in the same vehicle, all their stuff's there, they show up, and then the guy's like, okay, everybody's got to take their own cart. (laughs) And then I talked to my other friend in Salt Lake, outside of Salt Lake, Steve Schneider, and he said, uh, he said, oh, yeah, he said, we, you know, disaffected all the carts, and we keep the table outside, the shop's closed, you know, and uh, everybody can play, and 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 you know, they can't touch the pin. They turn the cups upside down, and so they've done everything that they can possibly do. And the range is not open either. Um But it's just they're dealing with it. And it's different. I heard my friend called me the other day. He says, "Oh, we're playing up here in New York." I said, "Oh, really?" And this is Western New York, or you know, Central Western, and and it's just like, "Wow, really?" I mean, we don't have any of that here. So. Um, and there are people from Pennsylvania actually driving up there, although it's a little bit colder. But you know, it's different everywhere. I wish these people would get their act together so we could actually, everybody could get back to having activities. Uh, you know, for us, we want to take a walk in different parks and different trails here, and there's like unbelievable. You could look and you could see 40 people riding their bike or to run, jogging or walking or just being outside. I mean, this sitting on our duff is not good for everybody in my opinion and uh i'm 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 ready to get back to it and uh i i I hope they get their act together and and allow us to do that
1: so joe let's let's talk a little golf and and um okay a comment you just made a moment ago you hit a good drive on a par five you talk about are you going to be the guy that you got 220 230 in You're going to be the guy that hits the three-wood to try to go on the green. You're going to be the guy that lays up with an eight-iron and then hits a wedge onto the green. So I'm assuming you're the guy that's going to pull the three-wood and you're going for it. Is there a situation that you wouldn't, or is that your mindset? I'm just going to rip it, and I'm going to go for the green no matter what.
2: Got to be within your limitations there. And if it's within your yardage, and all you got to do is set up well, good posture, and make a smooth swing at it just like you're hitting a pitching wedge. Full pitching wedge, a stock wedge, and it doesn't matter what club, three wood, five iron, it doesn't matter. And then you just, just hit it solid. And then, you know, it's one of those things where you have to decide in your own mind to say, I'm going to commit to this and then send it. Um, I can remember doing that at Greenleaf in Florida on a one par five. Where, you know, you're, play, you're playing in a tournament, and of course, I know, is this within my Yep, that's within my range. Okay, boom, all I got to do is set up, hit it solid, and it, uh, knock it on the green, have an eagle putt. Whereas there are times when wind conditions, or it is what it is, you're not feeling quite confident enough. Well, you can still make birdie. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. Today, I was thinking about golf and what I saw growing up, and there's no golf now. But I remember watching the IVB Golf Classic at White Marsh Valley Country Club. And Lafayette Hill PA, and I'm watching Nicholas. He's on a par five, and he had the three wood, and it's over a creek. So we're all standing there, and what does he do? He makes a swing at it. He tops it. I mean, I, I, I looked in my eyes like, oh, my, we're all speechless. so like, oh, my God. Uh, did we just see that? And he hit it about 25 yards, right? That's how much it rolled. So he moses up there to his ball. He walks up there, and he talks to his caddy a little bit, and he pulls out a one or two iron. And then he rips that and he knocks it in there about four feet. Boom, makes birdie. I mean, I was just like, wow. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, and then I follow I kept following it. He ran in and he ran a string of birdies, five or six holes in a row. It was just, oh my gosh. I just, uh, I mean, but that's what inspired me when I was, uh, you know, a kid growing up. I mean, it's, it's, it's one thing to watch golf on TV like we all have through the years, especially being from up north and you're watching them play in Hawaii or California or Florida I and mean, it's freezing snow and whatever. I mean, and it, it's, it's, it's just one of those things though that I'm hoping that the tour makes the decision to bring it back and bring back the spectators so people can actually get up close and see what's happening. I mean, I remember seeing. Tom Weisskopf make an eagle on the sixth hole there. You I mean he he hit whatever shot he hit, he knocked it in a hole. Nice two. Okay, and then watching guys hit on a short par three and watching the ball spin back. I mean that was one of the coolest things a kid to watch. Did you see that ball come back? I mean they're hitting a full sand wedge on the on the ninth hole, a little downhiller. But if you hit it over the green you'd be on the next tee. So it it was one of those things I hope they figured out and somebody makes the sound decision to say they got to be able to bring spectators back in some way because golf courses there's all kinds of room and they're talking about having the masters without spectators and oh that would just be i i can't see that i mean i i mean i'm hoping they get their act together and make make the right decision so all of us cannot just enjoy just golf, but basketball and football. It's like my buddy called me the other day, he says, You know what they did? They closed the tennis court. I said, What do you mean they closed the tennis court? You're how you're what? You're sixty feet away or, or far from the other person at least. <laughs> oh I uh I'm I'm struggling with it a little bit myself in questioning the sanity of some of the decisions that are being made.
1: Joe, you talk about being a kid and, and watching the greats out out playing in a tournament. Did you have an idol when you were growing up and when, once you made it out on the champions tour, did you find yourself playing with or against some of the idols that you grew up watching?
2: Well my idol growing up from I just listened to my dad, he's actually in the picture there of him hitting that two Aaron on the eighteenth. He was one well, he was a guy standing on the tower behind the green. Um I have that photo and it was Hogan and I hit Hogan and my first set of irons that I bought was a set of Ben Hogan producers and I hit Hogan irons until I wore them out. Um, I hit Model 88. So actually, I bought a set the one time I asked the guy in Florida. I said, uh, Castleberry, I said, you how much want for that set of clubs? He says, oh, nobody wants those GD clubs. I said, well, how much? And he said, uh-huh. He said, 75. I said, well, you're throwing that two iron? It's back over there in the barrel in the corner. He said, yeah, I'll do that well that got me on tour and i used him on tour until i wore him out and uh and so it it was hogan cuz he had his book and it was like that's one of the best books to read to learn the fundamentals it was printed back in 57 and the illustrations are superb and uh and so it's a very you can get very technical book but actually um i i being uh, and just sitting back with uh, uh jl lewis and watching the other players the fellow competitors and it would be John Cook and it would be Kalcavacki and it would be you know, the list went on of the of of the players that stand, we're sitting there and, and and we were just talking about his, look at his form look at how he stays right on the spiral like Cook does man he stays right on the spiral turns pow and and just it 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 was amazing for me to play with these guys and learn how good you could actually get by just stepping back and actually watching from the outside in and then having the opportunity to go out and play with them and compete against them and, you know, just learn, you know, how good you can personally personally be. And I'm, I have a lot of respect for those guys because they've – all the time and effort and that they have put in to get to the level of proficiency – and it was amazing. Everybody had, you know, there were some similarities, but everybody had their strengths and weaknesses. But, geez, they they had some fundamentals that were just unbelievable. I like got like Hall of Famers that I played with and, and watched how good that they actually, you know, played. But they would miss shots just like the rest of us do, too. But it was how they came back and went to the next one and and their ability to have the forward okay what's next what's my next shot you know and then and then of course there's short games and getting up and down i remember watching vincente fernandez get up and down one time i had about a 10 footer for birdie on this hole and i looked i said he's not getting excited is what i thought well what he does he hits this little chip but he didn't he chipped it into the rough he chipped it into the heavy rough bounced it barely got on the fringe rolls down lips out and he had about a foot I dropped my club, I started clapping. I was like, Oh my god, that was like one of the best <laughs> shots i ever saw. But um but just but just to see, I mean, I remember playing with Gary Hallberg there into the Boeing out there and he eagled the eighteenth hole. We started on the back nine and then what does he do? He rips driver and hits uh hybrid or three wood onto the first green, makes another Eagle. Eagle Eagle. I never saw Eagle Eagle before. Um <laughs> that was just impressive. I mean, um I miss it. I I I really do. There's a lot of people here that do too and it's not like there's snow on the ground and we can go somewhere else and play. I mean, it's uh I mean, I'd like to see them step up and say, "Hey, come on, let's get practical about this and say open up the golf courses, let people go play golf and 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 it'll be good for everybody. It'll be a win-win for everybody."
1: Joe, I want to get you get some of your memories cuz when I was looking back okay. over your career, you played out on what's now the Corn Ferry Tour, and you were out there mm-hmm. for the majority of the early parts of the two thousand, two thousand to two thousand nine, yeah. and then twenty twelve, yeah. you you yeah. win a senior major. So you, in a, in a pretty short period of time, you went from being on the Corn Ferry Tour to being a major champion. Did something click? What what happened? What what got you over the hump?
2: Well, I kept playing, um, and then I trained with. Uh my coach, my buddy, Sam Randolph out of Fort Worth, and uh, Jeff Jensen, who lives out in uh, California and Baja sometimes, and they trained me. And I actually upped my training from the physical fitness standpoint and diet standpoint, and I applied myself to it. Um, and you, you, once I made that commitment to do it, that that's where you get your edge, I mean, you can think about it all you want, but you got to have the right kind of training and the right kind of information coming to you to have a basis to build on. And then once you have that and then you are, of course, you're on the road, then you have to have the personal discipline to be able to stick to your plan on what you do, like you learn from your chiropractor and your you know, neuromuscular massage person, what to do to keep your body functional, whether it's your neck or your back or your shoulder, or your legs, or your hamstrings or whatever, because golf is actually physical, especially with all the travel in there. You're toting your stuff all around, you're in planes and, you know, you're getting dehydrated and, and you have to be able to manage that. And I was lucky enough to, you know, have these guys help me with that. And that's what they did. They upped my game by training me. And that's how I got my edge. Now, then it came down to the point of endurance. And then, of course, what do we do? We have a tendency to over-practice and then over-wear it out. And then you get fatigued. And and there's a fine line there between how much you can practice or how much you feel like you need to practice. Some guys need to practice a lot, like Tom Kite and DJ and a couple others that really like to practice a lot. That's how they get their edge. But I mean, from a physical standpoint, then you start you have an imbalance in your muscles when you actually over practice. It's actually really good to actually practice using, you know, like for me, left handed, because then you're working your oppo- opposing muscles and then you don't get fatigue and strains and tears in your muscle because you're actually more balanced uh, and uh, prepared for what you have going. I mean, it's 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 amazing to me. That some of these guys have had the longevity that they've had, but they figured it out on their own, and they they all work out because that's the only way to keep. I mean, because if you don't work out, you're gonna get run over. You would literally get run over by the guys that do, like Scott uh, Scott McCarron You can just look at that guy, and he, you can tell he works out, he trains, and you know there's many others that that uh, do too, and that's how they were able to you know maintain their endurance and maintain their edge.
1: When you look at your 2012 season, you got yourself in contention at the senior PGA championship. You shot 66, 64 on the weekend. Was that the sort of the first time, you know, in a senior major that you got yourself into that position? And what was it like? It was that a moment for you that said, you know what? I can win a senior major. I can compete with these guys. Or was that already ingrained in you?
2: Well, no, I actually Roger Chapman won that PGA and I had been at qualifiers with him and I had played with Roger. And, um, but it was one of those things that I, I qualified for the first event of the year and I played just, uh, I, I, I played okay. And then I qualified for the second event and I played well, finished 12th, 15th or something. And then that got me into the Senior PGA. So, and I was going to all the qualifiers. I was playing and practicing and training. But those qualifiers are tough. You got four spots. I mean, you can go out and shoot, you know, three, four, five under, and you might not get in. And you know, it might be that you didn't make a bird coming in, or you made one bogey coming in. But it is what it is. You have to. But I kept training. I kept training the whole time. And then once I got to the Senior PGA, I was on. I mean I was really training. I went out to California and saw I mean he was out there and uh, and then so when I showed up, I mean I mean I was on on my game. I was I I was playing like I was playing in tournaments, but I was playing well but I wasn't getting in. And uh so then I I actually was well rested and then when it came time for the players championship, I actually played a practice round with one of the interns there. And uh which it, uh, was great, you know. I, I I asked him. I i said, "Yeah, show me your golf course." And so he so he did, and it was great because here's this young kiddo who, you know, yeah, this is how we play. On this hole, you hit it over those trees right there. You actually just step up and you suck it up and you rip driver over the trees right there. and have your shot in or you hit 3 wood or iron off the tee and then you'll have your long shot in and i hit driver every day and hit the fairway well actually i hit it through the fairway the last day and hit sand wedge in that's how far i hit it but it was one of those things that you learn to prepare because you got to prepare for not not just you know, the the uh, competition, but the own emotion that, you know, you'll experience yourself in managing that. And that's where the training kicks in, where the training is what allows you to manage that better so you can do what you can do the next day.
1: So to that end, when you're playing in the final round of the Senior Players Championship, and, and the names on the leaderboard are some of the greatest players of all time. I mean, Tom Lehman, our good friend Olin Brown, Mark Kalkovecki, Fred mm-hmm. Couples, Bernard Langer. From a mental side, yeah. were you just ready to win? Did or did, did any of those names, any of those guys, bother you? That wow, look at I'm on the leaderboard with these guys.
2: No, I had played with them all before, and I knew them. And really, they weren't even my competition. I was my
1: competition. My own
2: expectations, my own. Well, I guess. Well, how, however you would put it into words, but I, I mean, I took them out of the equation because it was all just me against the golf course. And how I could handle it in my own mind. And I mean, that's true for all golfers, men, women, doesn't matter. I mean, how good can you be? I mean, well, just because that's the challenge of the game and uh, and the better that you can do that and then, you know, just have the best attitude going into the next shot. How good can you do that? Take golf out of the equation. I mean, how good can you have the best attitude on the next tier or your next shot? And then just keep doing that. And regardless, let the number be what it'll be at the end of the day and then crunch the number at the end of the day. Make that be the standard. And then, you know, you would have done all you could have done.
1: Joe, uh, just a couple more before I let you go. And and I wanted to pass along a message that uh, former producer on the Golf channel, Keith Hirschland, who is another great friend Mm -hmm. of the show earlier today, I let him know that I put out on social media, you were going to be coming on the show and. Keith wanted me to pass along his uh, his hello to you, said that um, oh, you, you were one of the great guys that they enjoyed covering, that they used to refer to you as the conductor because of the way you used to wear your hat, but that uh, you were one <laughs> of their favorites uh, when when you got when they would do a, a golf tournament and you were playing. Do you remember getting to know any yeah. of those guys at the Golf Channel?
2: No, you remembered them all. They all were great. I always enjoyed chatting with them and stuff. And, and, and I mean, those are the guys that don't get thanked enough because they, you know, they're the guys who are out there in the weather and stuff and putting up with the heat and weather and rain and being on the ground with the camera. I mean, it's cool though. I mean, they've they've really done a lot for the game doing what they do.
1: So Joe, one more before I let you go, but uh just let everybody know, what are you up to now? What am I up to now? Well,
2: yeah. Actually, I'm uh I'm giving golf instruction here. Well, I'm not. Right at the moment, I'm not. But I actually started my <laughs> own uh, home ser- my own home service company. And plus, I build uh, s- uh, artificial turf practice greens and teas. And uh, I'm getting into uh, home water filtration and um, doing repairs and stuff. I've owned houses. I know how to do electrical work and sheetrock and you name it. If I can't do it, I'll find somebody who can But But... Um, I'm into that kind of stuff. So uh, that's why I bought this old truck, so I could fix it up and go out and and have a life here where my family is. That's awesome.
1: Joe, how yeah. can our listeners, if they want to stay up to date with you, do you, are you online? Are you on social media? Is there a way for our folks to uh, keep up with the things you're doing?
2: I'm not on social media, but I have my own uh, website, JoeDailyGolf.com. And... Um, I can contact you. Uh, you can contact me there. And uh, also, I'm, I'm, I'm missing uh, last year. I taught the uh, Salute Military Golf Association down there in only Ol- in Maryland, and the PGA HOPE program up here in Harrisburg and Ben Salem, too. And uh, I'm kind of missing that because I really enjoyed those guys. I'm hoping they start that up really soon.
1: Well, Joe, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. It's always a pleasure getting to spend some time with you. I hope you'll do it again sometime soon.
2: Will do, Chris.
1: Thank you. Take care, Joe. T- stay stay safe. All the best to you and your family.
2: Thanks, Chris. You too, buddy. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you, man.
1: That's Joe Daly. D-A-L-E-Y. Joe Daly Golf is his website. and He's a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to catching up with Joe again soon. All right, before I get to my next guest, Andy Trainer, I want to give a shout-out to our friends at the Ben Hogan Company. Speaking of the Ben Hogan Company, by the way, when Ben Hogan founded his company in 1953, his mission was to make the finest golf equipment in the world, and that remains their mission today. They forge every club they make to provide the feel and feedback investment clubs simply can't provide. And their craftsmen micromanufacture every single club to your exact specifications, and they do so in their Forward Texas factory. You'll only find Ben Hogan Golf Equipment online at BenHoganGolf.com. Visit them online today to learn about their great products and their great prices. And this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call
3: PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com.
1: Now back to Chris and more of the show. And now back in making his fourth appearance with me is one of the top instructors in the game, and that's Andy Trainer. Andy is a Trackman Master Professional and Lead Golf Instructor at the Plain Truth Golf Academy, located at the courses at Waters Creek in Plano, Texas. He spent several years as a teaching professional head golf pro over in England at clubs like Chestnut Park Golf Course and Chingford Golf Course as well, and both of those just outside of London. Turned pro back in 1984. Andy's a lot of fun and always a thrill to have as part of the show, and I'm glad he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Andy, how are you, my friend?
4: Hey, Chris. Uh, thank you for having me on again. Always a pleasure to, to come on and, and speak to your
1: listeners. I nah, appreciate you. Andy, I, what's going on down there at Waters Creek? You guys open and, and playing golf and doing lessons, or what the, what's the status down there? The
4: uh, I haven't taught at Waters now for just over a month. Um, the course closed down we had some some rain to be fair um we we had some some big storms come through um kind of middle of march um and the course kind of closed down uh, just for a few days just prior to this this virus um really kicking on as as such and um and since then the, the course hasn't been open the course actually opened on friday just for uh for play as such um very limited play but as such, there's no, uh, no instruction right now, just waiting for everything to open up.
1: Andy, I was taking a look at uh, at your social media account, uh, particularly over on Twitter, and you guys can go follow Andy, at TrainerAndy. And it said uh, one of the things I came across was you went through a difficult time earlier this year. You had a tough decision to make. And uh, <laughs> as, you, as you probably know, ben Ho- the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company is, uh, is one of our sponsors. You want to talk about what that tough decision was?
4: <laughs> I, I, I probably have the the same picture that that everybody who's who's, who's in golf probably has that famous picture of Hogan at, at Marion, and uh, yeah, that that as I said I was uh, been in America almost four years. It's actually four years uh, last week, and uh, I, that was one of the few pictures, golf pictures, that I brought over me when I, I came over from England. And, uh, I'd put it on a wall and never really happy with the picture on the wall that I chose to put it on, hung it on the wrong wall. And I would sit there and look at this picture and it, this great picture it just didn't look right in that place. The decision of hanging it on another wall. <laughs> it was, a t- it was, a, it was a tough one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no doubt it was. So Andy, before, before the coronavirus shut the world down, Matt when won the Singapore Open and, and Matt is a guy that, You've been around for a number of years. You got to imagine as you, as you see him play well early in the season, got to get, got to make you guys proud of what he's doing. Talk about the relationship you have with Matt and, and, uh, the thrill of getting to see him win a, a tournament early on in the season. Yeah. Matt, Matt's
4: been, been playing well now for uh, a fair time. I and mean, he's been working with, uh, my colleague Chris O'Connell since 2006. And Chris has just done an, an amazing job. Um, with Matt and uh through working with Chris I'm very fortunate that I get to do do some stuff with Matt and Chris. Um and uh Matt Matt, you know, he's he's had a fantastic uh year on the golf course uh, the last uh maybe eighteen months now he's had three wins in that time and uh it's probably getting it about as as good as I've ever seen it. Um unbelievably uh driven to to do well Matt and I, and I have all the time in the world for Matt.
1: And Andy, you, you pointed out very correctly, I might add, on social media that last November when Lee Westwood won for the first time in nearly two years at the Abu Dhabi Championship, Matt won that Singapore Open. And the previous time that uh, Westwood won was back in 2008 at the Nedbank uh, Golf Challenge. Kuchar also won that same week at the Mayacopa Golf Classic in Mexico. So it seems like we got a little kindred spirits between Lee Westwood and Matt Kuchar.
4: Yep, both great hitters of a golf ball. Um, Both are very uh, inward release. Um, Guys that that are going to release it inward, they tend to be um, great hitters of the golf ball and and tend to hang around for a long time. Um, I have no doubt that that both Matt and and Lee Westwood, I don't know Lee Westwood, but I do know his golf swing, and I have no doubt that they'll both win a game.
1: Yeah, so I mean, I, I think that's the question, right? I mean... Westwood comes back from like I say a 2 year hiatus from winning and wins a golf tournament and he here's a guy that is probably one of the best players you know we talk about this all the time right in the in the world of golf one of the greatest players never to win a major and you would mm-hmm. think that maybe the momentum of that was uh, kind of going in his direction do you do you think he can be a factor when uh, when golf gets started or particularly when we get back to the majors later this year
4: yeah, I think Lee uh, Lee Westwood can always be a factor. He's he's a great hitter of a golf ball. I mean, I mean, if you go back over the last twenty years, probably one of the greatest hitters out there. Um, his um short game has, has probably not been as good as uh his his long game and that's probably what what's held him back from from winning majors. Can he win majors and be a factor? he can definitely be a factor. I mean he, he's certainly got the game to go ahead and win a major still.
1: What about Matt? I think that's one of the things we keep waiting for Matt oh. to kind of vault up to the top in a major. He's always right there. He seems like he always finishes in the top ten, but we're waiting for him to get over the hump and win one. What do you think's holding him back? Winning majors
4: is not easy. <laughs> you know, people <laughs> talk about winning majors like, hey, yeah, well, it's my turn. It's my turn. You get four majors a year, and you get the, all the, 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 the world's best players playing in those majors, and obviously there's a lot of uh, things that, that need to go your way to, to actually win. You can go out there and, and play great golf, um, but you've got to get some breaks too. Um, and, you know, if, if you look at the majors over the years, you, you've got a lot of players who you think they won a major and, you know, you've, you've probably won one <laughs> tournament or two tournaments in their life and yet one just happened to be a major. It just happened to be that week. And so regardless of whether uh, Matt or or Lee Westwood ever win a major, I think, I mean, personally, I'll take their careers over the guys that that have won one major and and that's it. Um, In some respects, majors are a little overrated on on that. You know, as you say, you you can win one tournament, you win a major, you're a major winner. I'll take someone with with their kind of uh, career earnings over uh, a major winner all day long.
1: Andy, I want to switch gears a little bit. I want to get some playing lessons from you, and since we're all stuck at home for the most part, what are some drills that we can do, whether it's out in our backyards or in our living rooms to kind of, if it's, if we're in a part of the country where we haven't been able to get out and play at all, maybe kind of get our golf swings going, or if we started to play and had to put a pause on being able to, what's something we can do to kind of keep our golf swings in tune?
4: I think the, for me, the the biggest thing that I try to work with my players is is making them understand their misses, so that um, that there's no surprises. If you like, everybody plays golf, and and, and when you're playing golf, you often think people would strike it good, but yeah, it might go ten yards in the wrong direction. Now all of a sudden they're in a penalty area, and so playing golf is is about knowing where your misses are. And if you know that there's trouble, say for instance down the right hand side when you're playing a hole. Well, if you go ahead and hit the outside of the golf ball, you, you might hit it 50 yards left, but you're not ever going to hit it in trouble. Um, and the same on, on the, if the trouble's on the left, you know, if the trouble's on the left, go ahead and hit the, hit the left side of the ball, the inside for a, a right hander and, and the outside for a left hander. And so to me, understanding that, go and have a look at golf courses and Go on to Google Earth and hey, where's the trouble on this hole? And now go ahead and understand that okay, if the trouble's down to the right, I'm always going to hit the outside of the golf ball as a right hander, the inside of the golf ball as a left hander, and now I can't ever hit the ball in trouble.
1: Andy, for most of us weekend hackers, we're not on the green in regulation as often as we'd like, and I wanted to get some tips from you. What are some shots that we, you know, from a mindset perspective, and what kind of what kind of chip shots should we be doing? So that, you know, from we're 20, 30 yards you know, short of the green, we're a little left or a little right, to get ourselves up and down and and, uh, and give ourselves an opportunity for par more often. What do you see that we make our mistakes in and around the greens? Well,
4: well all golf clubs are, are built differently in the length and the loft. And if you take the loft of the golf club, that means that the, the club with the most loft has the bottom edge of the golf club, forwards of the top edge of the golf club. And what that does, it, that allows the, the, the player to access lower on the golf ball. So obviously, if you hit above the equator, that ball's not going up in the air. And if you hit uh, below the equator, you know that you're lifting it. And and people, what they tend to do is that they, they're trying to, uh, hit too much of an, of a vertical golfing, too much up and down. And so the bottom to that golfing gets very, very narrow. What you want to do is the beauty of using a wedge is that you don't really need to lift the golf club up in the air. You've got loft, and and you could run it along the ground, and it would lift the golf ball up in the air. Um, And so people don't tend to hit bad shots in direction more so than um, with a short club. They tend to hit the wrong wrong distance with a short golf club. And so you're trying to make a golf swing with the widest bottom possible with a wedge because you know that you're going to be able to contact under the equator and now just go ahead and, and start practicing like you would with a, um, like a putting ladder, if you like. So you're, you're trying to hit the ball set distances. People, uh, in short game are too intent on hitting the ball, uh, a, in a direction. Be more intent on hitting it at the correct distance.
1: So to that end, Andy, are, are you a proponent with, uh, with using the wedge pretty much most of the time around, in and around the green? And if so, that, like, that talk, was, talk us through setup up in ball position.
4: Um, so f- for me, everybody, when they play golf, they get this lost this golf club, and they say the bottom of the, the the bottom of the golf club, the front edge of the golf club, is forward of the top edge of the golf club, and then what they do, they take this golf club um, and then they want to put their hands forward and the ball back in their stand, and so you've just defeated the object of ever using that golf club. And so now, if you have that golf club with the uh, bottom edge now stuck in the ground and swing it up and down at all, now you're hitting a chunk. Um, and the next one, you, you get fed up chunking it, and now all of a sudden you start lifting the hand and you start blading it. And so the the golf club that you're using um is not nowhere near as important as the as the action you make. The if you like, each golf club is it is if if like, just going to be a percentage of carry of the overall shot. So if you think about a 20 yard, a 25 yard shot, and let's say you have a sand iron and you go ahead and make nice contact, you make a nice wide bottom. That golf club, uh, the ball is probably going to carry somewhere between 60 to 70 percent of the distance in the air, and then roll out the rest of the distance. Now, if you go ahead and take an eight iron, now that that distance through the air might only be 25, 30 percent, and the rest of the time on the ground. Uh, like the other 70 percent if you like is on the ground and so what you want to do if if you want to play that way you'll get players who want to always hit with sandwich someone's always wants to change club and both neither of them are incorrect if they're played in the in the correct um location if you like in the correct uh if you look at a green saying that and the flag is on the front of the green and uh you kind of Unless the green is, uh, the area in front of the green is very, very flat, you probably don't want to be playing an eight iron, uh, to bump it, uh, through hoping to, that it bumps along nicely. Whereas you could probably play your, your sandwich down and carry it onto the green. Whereas if the flag's at the back of the green, now you can go ahead and you've got a choice. You, you, you could either throw it up onto the green, uh, up towards the flag or you can bump it. One of the things that, that people do, they don't look at slopes on the greens. If you've got a, if you, like a green sitting in a bowl, kind of that's a, that's an easy shot because you can hit it all the way to the flag and carry it or if you hit it short and it hits the downside of the bowl it rolls onto the to the green anyway if you've got that uh, if you like that that hump there where you've got to land it um, people try to land it into the hill or on the downslope those are the people that make mistakes because you, you don't know what bounce you're going to get you, you never try to land uh, unless you have to into a hill or on a downslope you're trying to take that out and that's where the golf club choice is determined by that type of uh,
1: shot. So in the, in those cases where it's a, just a flat green and you, you mentioned where the pins in the front pins in the back to give us an idea what what is ball position look like if I want to take if I want to take that shot to the back left pin and I'm, you know, 10 15 yards short of the green and I want to run it back there talk talk me through where where's the ball in in position in my stance And you talked about hands ahead and how that might not be the thing to do. Where's the ball and where are my hands on the club? And where's the club position so so that I get that ball back?
4: See, a golf club is swinging on an arc. And so the low point of that golf club is underneath the handle. If you put the ball behind the handle, now the club is still swinging down when it reaches that point, and that's going to go too much into the turf. So wherever you want to put your hands, if you want to put your hand back in your stance behind the middle, make sure you have the ball back down. if you want to put your hands forwards of the middle, make sure you have the ball there. You you just want the the ball to be beneath your hands, if you like. If you were looking from a, a face-on position, if you've got that ball somewhere beneath your hands, you're not going to be far wrong. Now, you might just go half a ball back, half a ball forwards, but you don't want to move it up and, and around the, the way that people do. They'll move the ball but won't move the hands. And it creates that.
1: No. Andy Yeah, sure, go ahead. Andy another shot a, a lot of us struggle with is uh, the long fairway bunker shot. Take mm-hmm. me through how can we go about making sure we make crisp contact and we don't end up just chunking the ball a few yards out of the out of the trap. How do we make good contact with that shot?
4: Well, most people when they play golf um are hitting the golf ball to to the right of the target and the reason they're hitting it to the right of the target generally is the club face isn't isn't moving in a circle to the left and so the the bottom of the arc when you're swinging to the to the right gets way back behind the ball and if you get the the arc back behind the ball uh, in the bunker you hit the sand and the, and you don't hit a very good golf shot at all so what's important on a uh on a on a long bunker shot is obviously that you get ball first contact and so, anything where the club is moving, the, the bottom of the shaft is in is moving in a counterclockwise direction, inward relative to the golf ball, you're going to get the golf ball first. If you've got the, the the bottom of the golf club moving out away from you, then you've got a good chance that you're going to hit the the sand before the ball.
1: Andy, one of the things we talk a lot about on the show is the mental side of the game, and you tweeted something out a while back that caught my eye, and and it was the phrase. Hit the next ball better. Talk about what you mean by that. How do how do you put a bad shot sort of in the rear view, and have the mindset that I need to hit the just need to hit the next shot better?
4: Well, hit the next ball better is, is plain true slogan, and we firmly believe that that if you you know what you're doing wrong in your golf swing and know how to correct that, and it's and it's correct the correct information, then there's no reason why you shouldn't go ahead and and actually hit the next ball better. And I think the the problem with people get is is someone's idea of when they hit a bad shot is completely incorrect, um, and so now they go ahead and apply the fix that that they think is correct, but that fix is actually incorrect, and so they they don't actually improve the shot. If you can change the correct mechanics, now you can go ahead and hit the hit the good golf shot. Now that has a big um, Plus on the mental side, because you now know that hey, if I go ahead and do this, I know, I know I'm now going to hit a good one, and there's there's no reason why I can't do this, so just go ahead and do it. But if you're standing there trying to think, uh, I mean, I mean, you, you you your mechanics have to be right, and then, and if your mechanics are right, you can go ahead and hit the shot. Now you just got to get out of your way. So you, you you know you're confident. I know what I've got to do. I know it's the correct fix. I'm going to fix it. It's kind of like I've always say to people, it's like me having my my aircon system go down. my aircon system goes down, and uh, uh my engineer comes in and he uh, he has a look at my my aircon system, and he decides to change something, but it's not the correct fix. It doesn't matter how much he thinks about it working, it's not going to work. There has to be the correct fix. The mechanics have to be somewhat correct.
1: So how do you know? How do you know if we, if what you're doing is the right thing or the wrong thing and you're just making it worse?
4: Well, you'll know by your impact. Impact and ball flight tells you everything in golf. I mean, does Jim Furyk swing the golf club like Matt Kuchar? Does Matt Kuchar swing it like Bubba Watson? Does Bubba Watson swing it swing it like Justin Thomas? No, no, no. Two golfers look identical. The only thing that's identical to to great golfers is their impact uh, is correct, and great golfers it's repeatable. And so, if you've got bad impact, then you know that your mechanics are wrong. If you've got a, a correct impact, but it's not repeatable, you know that your mechanics n- need looking at. And I suggest that I mean, that you go find yourself a plain truth golf instructor, plain truth certified golf instructor, because all those guys know how to fix impacts, Well,
1: Andy, before I let you go, remind our listeners how can they do that? How can they find you, and how can they follow you, whether it's online or it's on social media?
4: Um, you can find me, uh, Andy Trainer, Trainer Andy. On, on Twitter most of my time most of my time you'll see me on Plain Truth Golf so Plain Truth Golf Dallas is where, uh, is where we teach out of Plain Truth Golf Dallas is on uh, Facebook it's on Instagram and um, one of the things that we have been doing to be honest during this time is to ramping up our social media we know we've not been, been good at that it's been good to, for us to get up anyone who wants to understand more about Plain Truth Golf there's a there's a great um, we have a Plain Truth discussion forum for anybody can go and Uh, put any questions they want up on that, and and just on all the the usual social media ads. If you just go find Plain Truth Golf, you will find me.
1: Well, Andy, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show. Always a lot of fun talking with you and always learn something as well, so thank you for being here.
4: Pleasure to to be on, Chris. You stay safe, and to all your listeners, uh, hopefully soon we'll be out playing golf.
1: Absolutely. You stay safe as well. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. Take care, Chris. Bye. See, Andy, that's Andy Trainer, T R A Y N O R, and trainer Andy, uh, on Twitter, but, um, look him up, plain truth golf. It's fantastic stuff. Andy's a, is a heck of an instructor and he he talks about ball flight and contact. If we're, if we're not contacting the right part of the ball, we're not getting into the center of the face, then all of a sudden the start, the uh, shots start to go sideways and we end up in trouble. And then we're trying to figure it out. Let Andy try to help you. I, before I get to my next guest, Tim Cusick, I want to give a shout out to our friends over at Positive Vibes Golf. You can find them online at PositiveVibesGolf.com and on Twitter at p Vibes Golf. Their head covers and putter covers are a very unique way to keep your mind focused on positive thoughts, and they're a great on-course training aid because you can't help but stay positive when you're going back to your golf bag and you see their their putter covers and their head covers. Are going to put a smile on your face, and uh, you know you're going to release the tension. You're going to have a lot more fun. And you're, you the know, results going to come right behind you, right? When you're having fun and you're more relaxed and you got a smile on your face, things are a whole lot better than when you're angry and you're slamming your clubs down on the ground. So go online and check them out, positivevibesgolf.com. Give them a follow on Twitter at pvibesgolf. All right. Now back with me is another one of the top instructors anywhere on the planet, and that's Tim Cusick. Let me remind you about Tim's background. He's been a member of the PGA of America since 1989. He's been named one of the best teachers in the state of Texas by Golf Digest every year since 2011, and Golf Magazine named him one of their top 100, stru- 100 instructors in America. He's a three-time winner of the Teacher of the Year Award by the Northern Texas PGA, also won the Northern Texan, uh, Texas PGA's Horton Smith Award, which is given annually for outstanding and continuing contributions to professional golf education. He achieved master professional status after graduating from the PGA program. Tim is coaching now more than 150 junior players secure golf uh, college golf scholarships. He's also coached players like Bruce Crampton, Brad Elder, Hollis Stacey, and Sandra Palmer. Formerly managed and taught at the Hank Haney Golf School and worked with Hank for 23 years. He's currently the director of instruction at the Four Seasons Resort and Club in Irving, Texas. He's written a great book called The Four Keys to Improve Your Game, which you can find out on Amazon.com. And you can hear Tim Sunday mornings on the Pro Shop Golf Show on 103.3 FM ESPN Radio down in Dallas from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. And I'm very honored. He is back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Tim, how are you, my friend?
3: Chris, I'm doing great. And thank you so much for that uh that nice introduction. Let me uh wish you a uh... A very uh, happy belated birthday, which I think was this past Sunday.
1: It was. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, my friend. Absolutely. So, tell us what's going on down there in Irving. Are you guys? Are you open? <laughs> are you doing lessons? What's the status down there?
3: Well, uh, the status the status is that um, our facility, the Four Seasons Golf and Sports Club, uh, closed their door. The hotel closed their doors as well. But Hotel in the, in the uh, sports club closed their doors, uh, March, right around March 16th. And, uh, they have remained closed. Although one of our golf courses, the, uh, the TPC golf course, uh, has opened in the last, uh, probably 10 days or so, but it is only for our members, tea times only, um, no amenities no golf carts if you have a private cart and live on the property you can uh, utilize that you can utilize your own pull cart or push cart but uh there is no staff there's no teaching there's no range there's no practice facility that's where we're at right now
1: wow are you hearing anything more about the uh, updates that uh, may be opening back up on the horizon or is it uh you're gonna have to wait and see
3: you know, that's a great question, Chris, and it, it seems to change every day, every half day, every couple hours. Um, we're governed, obviously, by uh, Governor Abbott, the state of Texas, and uh, locally, the county that the Four Seasons is in is Dallas County. Uh, Judge Clay Jenkins is kind of presides over that county, uh, but that county also has uh, most of the uh, coronavirus um outbreaks south of downtown dallas which is still dallas county and so we kind of fall in that in that county so we're you know our jurisdiction is is dallas county and, and judge clay jenkins so we have to abide by what he has to say and the rules that he has going on chris really in dallas in in the metroplex there's there's golf courses that are open very similar to what i described no golf shops open um you know, I, I, uh, but no practice facilities really. There's a couple practice facilities that, uh, that are open and I'm not quite sure, you know, what that status is, but, uh, I was at two golf courses today. Uh, matter of fact, this morning I had a, a playing lesson with one of our members over at Cheryl Park, which is a, uh, city owned golf course in the, in the, uh, city of Richardson. Played nine holes with a student. And then this afternoon I live in a little, uh, golf course community and, Played nine holes with um, with a neighborhood friend and, um, and his family. And, uh, you know, both of those facilities, you have to make your tee times online. Uh, you check in. There's someone outside that checks you in. And you just go right to the tee. There's no putting, no chipping, no hitting balls. It's just golf.
1: So... What about you, from a from a lessons perspective? Have you shifted to to video lessons? How are you doing uh, from a from a practice tee for yourself and being one of the best instructors on the planet? I got to imagine people are still knocking on your door
3: for for a little while um, over at Cheryl Park, the course I mentioned where I was this morning. Ronnie Glanton, who's the uh, the head pro there, and he's a great PJ professional. Uh, he's been our president in the Northern Texas section three separate times. He's been a, a, a district representative in in, uh, in national PGA um, uh, work, and uh, he's just a great pro. And he, he was very kind to me to allow me to do some teaching over there. Uh, I, uh, I was over there for probably three weeks, you know, every other day or so, teaching a few lessons, and then they got shut down uh, the Saturday before Easter And we're closed for about four or five days, open back up to online, uh, tea times, uh, but the driving range not open. So, uh, that's kind of stalled that part out. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm now I'm given some playing lessons, like I said today. And, uh, I do, I do a few online lessons. I have students that will send me a video. I'll do a little recap for them in my, my garage. I've got a net set up or in the, in the backyard and, uh, shoot it back to them. Um, and that's kind of how I've, I've, I've bided my time. I I, uh, I took a little small position just to keep myself busy at a, a local grocery store where I do some of their street side shopping, and it's more of just uh, you know keep me uh, going and healthy and my mind sharp and you know my body and everything, my wits about me. I'm I'm not good, Chris. I'm not good sitting around, so I got to I got to do something, and <laughs> that's what I've been doing.
1: Let's switch gears a little bit because I want to get some some tips from you, Tim. And and it's Tuesday, right, which would typically mean uh, back in yeah. the day that it would be Golf Tip Tuesday from you, which is a series that I've missed very much this year. Um Give me give our listeners some tips for what we can be doing. You talk about having a net and stuff at home. What are some drills and some things that we can do, whether it's in our backyards or in our living rooms to get our golf swing you know- either going or, or staying tuned?
3: chris first uh golf tip tuesday is a is a video series uh every tuesday in normal times and it'll be back to normal times here soon, but in normal times on the uh the four seasons uh golf and sports club uh facebook twitter and instagram page and so i, I film those on a monthly basis and we send them out every every tuesday and i i I can't tell you how many. How many comments I get about those those videos? People really seem to, to like those all around the world, and so I can't wait to get back doing them. But to answer your your question, you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of golfers that have purchased nets for their backyard, for their garage, from somewhere in their house to be able to just stay active and hit some balls and and uh, or makeshift um, nets and uh, i've seen people hang painter tarps in their in their garage and and hit balls into that or even hit the you know the foam rubber balls that, that aren't going to cause any damage inside the house but um the the important thing is that you're swinging a club and you got to you got to stay active swinging a club whether it's with a ball whether it's with a nerf ball whether it's without a ball just got to stay active swinging the club because that's where the rust starts showing up is when you get complacent when you you get less frequent frequent swinging the club and uh then it feels very awkward when you get back and there's a you know there's a little bit of a learning curve so if you can get some swings in every day you know most of the country you're getting some some nicer weather uh, as we get into the the latter stages of April so you can get out in the backyard or or uh you know wherever it ends up being get out get some fresh air too but get that club swinging i don't care what club it is Doesn't matter what club it is, just get out there and start swinging
4: the club.
1: Tim, you did a a tip back in March around the length of the backswing matching the length of the follow-through. And I think that's a place where a lot of us go wrong. It's whether we haven't committed to the shot, so we decelerate and end up chunking the ball or hitting it a few yards. Talk about the importance of making sure the backswing and the follow-through match.
3: You know you mentioned something in in your uh, preview of that uh, commitment and commitment is a is a huge word. Um, I would rather see someone committed to the wrong shot than not committed to maybe a higher percentage shot because I've never really seen a shot turn out where someone wasn't committed to it so first and foremost you've got to be committed to the shot that you're gonna play most of the time now not all the time but most of the time when people golfers are playing shots and this is tour professionals as well when they're playing shots around the green they are hitting shots where their follow-through is as long if not longer than their backswing now not every time because you'll see tour players around the green hit like a little dump shot where they make a backswing that goes to about hip high and they hit it and they kind of hold it and that's a little bit more of a specialty shot but most of the time I like seeing someone follow through as much, if not more, than their backswing. Because, Chris, what it does is it, it keeps the momentum going. you got to keep the momentum going. The, the guy that I, I worked with this morning that I was talking about in the playing lesson, we spent time around every single green. We put a ball or two down and just practice shots around the green because that's an area that, that he's challenged with. And, and that was exactly what we were working on is to try and keep, the momentum going through the shot and the momentum has to be with the the handle of the club the part you're holding on to and the belt buckle your 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 midsection your belt buckle and your trail foot so for a right-handed golfer your right foot you've got to keep those three things moving as you're swinging the club and one other thing that i'm going to add one of the worst miss in golf is keep your head down and keep your eye on the golf ball i I agree with keep your eye on the golf ball but here's where I go with that. You can keep looking at the golf ball until it's gone, but once it's gone, you've got to release your eyes as well to allow your body to continue to go through and to see a nice shot.
1: That's an interesting thought. Take that a step further. One of the things that I always repeat to myself is, you know, head down, head still. Right? Keep your eye on the ball like you just said, right? So I'm I'm trying to laser focus on the golf ball throughout the entire part of my swing. Absolutely. Tell me, wait, give me a little more context.
3: When you set up to hit a shot, doesn't matter what shot it is, whether it's a drive, a chip, a putt, or, or a seven iron into a green. When you set up to hit a shot, your eyes are focused somewhere on the golf ball. Okay, different people focus on different parts of the, of the ball, maybe depending on what you're trying to do. But you're focused on the ball. And as you swing the club back, there's very few golfers that can really keep their head exactly still when they swing because that's going to require a lot of flexibility to be able to resist with the lower body, turn with their upper body but keep their head exactly still. That's very difficult to do. I'm I'm comfortable. I'm okay with somebody's head moving provided a couple things happen. I'm okay if it moves slightly as you swing back away from the target. I don't like seeing the head go towards the target. I don't want it to go down towards the ball or away from the ball. But if it shifts ever so slightly to the right for a right-handed golfer, I'm okay with that. Now, the other thing is, is that those eyes need to stay level to the ground. That's a huge part. You don't want your eyes tilting one way or the other because that changes your perception. It's like all of a sudden you're on a side hill lie when your head starts tilting. So eyes can stay level, head can shift slightly to the right, ever so slightly as you, as you load into your right side for a right-handed golfer. When you come back in, if you're able to see the club hit the golf ball, that's great. But once you hit, as you start swinging through, your body is rotating, your waist, your chest, your trail foot, your hip, and your eyes should go with that. You, because if your eyes stay staring at the ground, it's going to inhibit your body to turn through, which could move the bottom of the downswing back and create a fat shot. I like the adage, Chris, of keep your eye on the ball, but once that ball's gone, start looking for it.
1: Tim, a couple more before I let you go. And then I want to talk about in the swing, one, one of the things I start to see more and more is a, is a different position of the face of the club at the top of our backswing. I see Dustin Johnson. A lot of times the face of the golf club is pointed straight up to the sky. I see great golf swings like yours and uh, some of the, you know, many of the other great players where the club face is essentially pointing towards your, you know, your lead shoulder. It's Mm -hmm. sort of perpendicular to the ground. Where should our hands and where should the club face be? And how can we be sure it's in the right position at the top of our backswing?
3: Well, Chris, the nice thing in golf is, is that You know, there's not one way to do things, and there's a lot of different ways to do it. And and you see that on the professional tours. You see different types of swings, and you, you know, you named a couple, specifically Dustin Johnson. That's a little bit, that's a little bit, uh, different at the top of the backswing. I would say, I'm gonna give you a little bit of tour, tour perspective, and then I'll, I'll, I'll be more specific about the everyday golfer. On tour, you, you will see either a club face that is square, to the swing plane, you were talking about kind of the, the the lead shoulder, okay? Square to the swing plane, or you'll see a club face that's a little bit more shut or facing towards the sky. But very very rarely do you see a club face that's too open where the toe is is hanging down. That that that's that's one that you don't see on the on the tour very often. Now, when the club face is is shut at the top of the backswing, and we'll we'll talk about we'll use Dustin Johnson as an example. Okay, that type of of club face, those golfers tend to be a little bit more of hold on and turn through with their body. Now, the one thing you got to remember is, let's say Dustin Johnson's got a seven iron in his hand and he's a great player and a great ball striker. And then I, 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 you know, a very, very consistent player. So I, I don't take anything away from you know, what what Dustin Johnson does. But when that club face is more shut at the top, if you have a 7-iron in your hand at address, and let's say the 7-iron has 32 degrees of loft on it, at the top of the backswing, if that club face is facing towards the sky, there's less than 32 degrees of loft on it. So that loft has changed on that face. If you don't have a lot of club speed, like Dustin Johnson does or other tour players do, that's a tough position to play from because you lose trajectory. If you don't have a lot of speed, if you don't swing the club faster than 100 miles an hour, that's a difficult position to play from because you're not going to be able to launch the ball effectively. Also, those types of golfers tend to fade the ball more because the face is shut. They're holding on and turning through. I don't have, you know, a problem with that. Look at the top. If you're if you're good with club head speed and you're okay playing a fade. And that's a, That's a, That's a way to do it. Now, I'm more of a proponent of having the club face be more square to the swing plane, which would require as well more of a neutral grip. Whereas when that face is shot, you see those guys with stronger left-hand grips, um, three, four knuckles turned to the right. When you have more of a neutral grip and the club face is more square and it matches the, the swing plane, to me, you can control your trajectory better. You can control your distance control better. You can control your spin, and you're not handicapped if you don't have a lot of clubhead speed of being able to launch the golf ball up in the air.
1: Tim, one more before I let you go, and I want to get on the putting surface because one of the things that uh, my buddies and I vary greatly with is ball position and stance and width of stance on the on the on the greens when we're putting. And I know some of that is comfort. But talk about when you're talking to your students, where do you want that ball position? Where do you want our hands in relation to the shaft and to the club base of the putter? And how how wide of a stance do you recommend?
3: Well, you know, putting is, Chris, putting is the absolutely the most individual part of, of golf. You see so many different styles in terms of setup, how they hold on to the putter, what type of putter they're using. And that, that is, there's a lot of comfort and what feels natural to you in, in, in regard to, uh, to the grip and the grip you're using on your club and, and how you set up to the, to the golf ball. Um, and, and a lot of that has to do with your body too. You know, if you have long legs or short legs or a long torso or short torso, you know, that's going to play into it as well and how you swing the putter. If you have more of an arcing stroke, You're probably going to be slightly further from the ball where your eyes might fall inside the golf ball slightly. If you're a little bit of a straighter back and through, you're probably going to be a little bit more over the top of the golf ball where your eyes are positioned over the ball. The further you get from the ball, it's easier to swing the putter on an arc. And the more you stand up over the top of the ball and your eyes are over the ball, it's a little bit easier to be a little straighter back and through, at least for the, you know, the start of the, of the putt and the through, the through swing part of the putt. And then it will start arcing on each side. But back to kind of what you were you were asking ball position wise, and we'll we'll talk about it in uh, relation to a right-handed golfer. I like seeing the ball a little bit more, kind of up by the left eye, in line with the left eye, just forward of the of the center of your stance. And and the reason why I like that is because I don't want to ever have someone hit a putt on the downward blow when the putter's still moving down before it gets to the bottom of the arc. And and I would because you're going to bounce it, the ball already pushes into the ground. High speed cameras show that the ball already pushes into the ground and then it hops up. And the less that you can have that in the in the stroke with pushing the ball into the grass, the better you're going to get a truer you're going to get a tour roll. So, getting the ball a little bit more up by your left eye, you almost catch the ball on the slight upswing. Just past the bottom of the arc, and you don't push the ball into the grass as much, and it doesn't bounce as much. Um, now, in terms of how the arms should be in relation to the putter, you know, there's not a lot of people that get that fit for their putters. And, and I think you're going to see that more often in the coming years where there's some si- systems that are being put in place. And that's going to make a difference as well. And that's going to get people more consistent with their setups. But I like seeing that the shaft of the putter. In line with the with the, the lead forearm or the, the left forearm, from the elbow to the hand down the shaft, that line should stay somewhat consistent. And I'm a more of a proponent of my eyes over the ball. And on shorter putts, say inside five feet, the putter sink, swings relatively straight back and straight through. Longer putts, it will start to arc after you make that straight back and through motion. But uh, but those shorter putts inside of five feet that putter swings relatively straight back and through.
1: Tim, before I let you go, remind our listeners, how can they stay up to date with what you're doing and follow you both online and on social media?
3: Chris, on social media, uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, if you just uh, reference Tim Cusick Golf, Tim and then C-U-S-I-C-K Golf, you're going to find me. I've got a website that's timcusickgolf.com. And my personal email address for golf is tim at timcusickgolf.com.
1: Tim, thank you so much for coming back and being a part of the show. Always learn a lot when you're here. Always a lot of fun to spend time with you. I hope you'll come back and join me again soon, my friend.
3: Chris, always enjoy it. And I will say that you are one of the best in the business. And and us instructors really appreciate what you do for us on social media. And uh, I'm proud to uh, call you a friend. And uh, stay safe and healthy and hope to talk to you again soon.
1: You do the same, my friend. Thank you so much, Tim. That means a great deal to me. You're fantastic. I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Yes, sir. Bye-bye. See you, Tim. That's a great Tim Cusick. Tim Cusick Golf. C-U-S-I-C-K. com is the site, and you can find him on social media under the same. Fantastic guy. One of the best. That's why he's a top 100 instructor in the game, according to Golf Magazine, and and, uh, a great friend and a great man. And I look forward to catching up with him again soon. All right. Now back with me is another wonderful friend of the show and has been so for several years. And that's the chairman and CEO of Fairbault Wool and Mill Company, Paul Grandguard. And Paul is, uh, has been, uh, just fantastic over the years. We've gotten to know him from his time as CEO of the Allen Edmonds shoe company and now over at Fairbault Wool and Mill. And, and I'm telling you folks, Paul is doing some great stuff as CEO over there. If you're not familiar with uh, Fairball, Will & Mill, go check them out online. They've got wonderful blankets and scarves and wool accessories. They're doing another great thing, pairing up with the Minnesota Twins to do some great stuff for our Brave Hospital personnel folks up there in Minnesota. We're going to hear that story in just a minute, but uh, glad to have Paul back as, uh, as part of the show again. Hey, Paul, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well, Chris. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you. Tell me about good. what's going me, on with you. What's what, How are things in Minnesota?
3: Well, first, I got to say uh,
0: happy birthday. I'm glad I listened in to Jim and found out it was your birthday this weekend. <laughs> I hope it was a good one.
1: It certainly was. Thank you very much for that. I appreciate it.
0: Good. Things in Minnesota are, uh, you know, like everywhere in the country, they're strange. And it's you know, it's been going on now for more than a month and yet it's very hard to get used to. It's uh weird to do your whole job almost entirely you know, on a computer and a telephone, especially for people like you and people like our team. I mean we're very uh much focused on teamwork and, and interpersonal interaction and so it's just uh, strange to be doing that on uh phone and, and email. But we're also learning new things. I never heard of Zoom until a month ago and now all of a sudden I'm using <laughs> Zoom a couple of times a week, maybe three or four times a week. So you know, we're adapting.
1: And and Paul, as I as I talked about at the very top of the show and, and alluded to a moment ago, you guys have partnered with the Minnesota Twins to do something really spectacular for uh for our hospital heroes up in the in the Minnesota area. Talk about what you guys have partnered up to do
0: yeah thanks for asking about that. You know it's uh the famous old adage uh necessity is the mother of invention uh really comes to in the play here we uh we do a little bit of sewing of the edges of our blankets. We don't have a huge sewing operation. We're not like a garment company or something like that and yet uh one of our star players on our team is very close to the family that owns Minnesota Twins and the Minnesota Twins management and she got a call saying could Ferbo will and no partner with us to turn last year's Homer hankies into a COVID-19 face masks and um, our team member called me and I said you know I'm not sure we can figure out how to do that but it turns out we're partnering with another company Twin Cities called Love Your Melon which does have a lot more sewing capacity, and they had already designed a mask that, you know, they're not hard to design. You can see this all over the web, but we hadn't really looked at it at our shop. We're busy making blankets for the military, which we'll talk about in a minute, but um, they showed us what they were doing, and it was an ingenious idea. They came up with the hospital system here where they take surgical uh, coating that kind of it's like, almost like a, a thin uh, polypropylene cloth that they put over people while they're having surgery to keep, keep it sanitized all around them. And since there's so many fewer surgeries going on right now, especially elective surgeries, uh, they have a lot of that kind of cloth. They're short on masks, they're short on gowns, but they've got a ton of the surgical cloth. So, the combination of uh, last year's Homer Hanky, which was only used at one game because we lost to the Yankees in three quick games last year in the playoffs. So, they had a lot of these Homer Hankies left, several tons of thousands. Um, we're converting them on the outside, and then on the inside, we put this surgical uh, dra- drape, drapery, uh, both cut to the same size, and you, you put the elastic straps in it so you can hook it around your ears. and all of a sudden you've got a a mask. It's not something you'd wear if you were interacting with a COVID patient, but it's something you could put on. Um, uh, you wouldn't wear it alone with a COVID patient. You could put it over an N95 mask and have that then be the mask that you take off when you leave the room and throw away. And you could then keep your N95 mask for uh, longer during the day and not run out of them with the shortage in the N95 mask. So, or you could use this mask in other less, uh, viral settings than COVID 19. And it's a great mask also for our, um, grocery store people. People are, you know, the front lines are, are there are a lot of people on the front lines nurses, doctors, EMTs, people who work in hospitals and almost any function. But there are also people in grocery stores getting food to us who are also on the front lines. And, uh, and one of the big grocery store chains here in town sponsored the Homer Hankies originally, and their people were going to get a shipment of masks, uh, but it was rerouted by FEMA to a place that needed them more—a hospital somewhere in the country—and as a result, uh, the grocery store wasn't going to have them. So we're going to make these masks for grocery store people as well as for uh, healthcare workers and, uh, and and those who keep the hospitals going. We have this young woman who majored in art and design and loves fabrics and sewing. She runs our our sewing area, and she said, I'd love to do that. So she started making the mask, and then we brought a couple of our people who work in retail stores who are not able to do their jobs right now, and they know how to sew. And we uh, sent out the word to people in the town of Faribault and nearby places, and all of a sudden, we've got 10 people making masks, and we're hoping to double that pretty quickly so we can get to the 10,000. We're doing five, and Lovely Melons doing the other 5,000 masks for the twins to distribute to hospitals and grocery store workers.
1: So is it going to be anything beyond that? Is this a sort of a one-time thing based on the Homer hankies, or it doesn't seem like you know the need for social distancing and the need for wearing masks is going to go away anytime soon? Might this be something you guys continue?
0: Yes, it definitely will. We're lear- we've learned how to do it now. The mask design that we have is, is a very good one. As I mentioned, it was, uh, the design really comes out of a hospital uh, organization here who helped um, our partners figure out how to do it, and then they taught us how to do it. We've already had other hospitals call us and say, "Could you make some for us?" And, and, and I, you know, I think the world has changed now. Uh, I've been to Asia on business and seeing young girls in Tokyo, Japan, walk across the street on their way to school in their uniforms wearing masks and, you know, it's much more common in in Asia than it it has ever been in the United States. But I I think we're going to all start wearing masks, particularly when we're in close quarters on airplanes or any other kind of closed environment. And I think it's going to last for quite a while, even potentially past the vaccine, which we all know is not likely to be found in the next couple of months, so we think this is going to be something that we can serve. Uh, another way we can serve our community during this really tough time is by continuing to make masks, and we plan to do
1: that. And Paul, you guys also make scarves, beautiful-looking scarves. Could they go in conjunction with the mask? So the you know scarves, not just necessarily around the neck, kind of go around the the bottom part of the face and and what you're, what you're doing there, can those two things go in conjunction with one another? Well, that's actually something
0: that uh, we're going to look at. Uh, a friend of mine is the chief operating, operating officer. He's actually one of our board members of a pretty well-known company called Duluth Trading Company. And he was saying that they typically, up until two weeks ago, uh, when the CDC said that maybe masks are actually a good idea after all, like said up to two weeks ago they sold gaiters, you know, those neck gaiters that people wear when they're skiing and uh, outdoor in cold weather. They would sell 600 a week. And as of uh, two weeks ago, they're now selling 6000 a day, and they've run out of wow. them. So, um, you know, how people do their covering is going to be a, a point of style. It's almost going to be like, you know, scarves, in general, for women, not just cold weather scarves, but, you know, the kind of scarves people wear in the summer and, and uh, act as an accessory. And then uh, neckties for men, you know, what colors do you want in it? How do you want to uh, accent what else you're wearing? I I think that you'll, we'll see a lot of creativity with face masks and gaiters and other things. We don't make scarves with elastic in them, <laughs> so you need something that holds it tight against cheeks. Otherwise, it's just a... Uh, you know, it's a mouth covering, but doesn't really deal with the issue of particles in the air. So, you want to, we're going to put um metal strips on the outside of the mask so that people can bend this, the metal strips to form to the bridge of their nose like a, you know, a breathe right or some kind of thing like that that you see pro athletes wear and people wear when they have colds. So, we're going to have something like that on our mask. We don't have them yet because we haven't been able to get the nose pieces in, but ultimately we'll have those for a little better fit on these things. I know what that I know what it's like to wear glasses with one of these masks without a nose piece and the hot air just goes right up and fucks up your glasses. So you,
1: <laughs> you <laughs> gotta have something to to tighten it up. You mentioned a moment ago about the blankets that you guys do for the military. You've got foot soldier military wool blankets and throws and uh you do a lot with uh with the military. You know what how that is uh, very near and dear to my heart. Talk about the things that you are doing from a blanket perspective that uh, goes in conjunction with our friends in the military.
0: Well, a lot of the servicemen and women who listen to your show are very familiar with our blankets. We do, every cadet who goes to West Point gets a West Point blanket made by Faribault Woolen Mill, a beautiful gray blanket with a gold stripe on it and a black stripe on it. and, uh, we sell a version of that. The army doesn't want us to sell the exact same one, but we sell one that's pretty close on our website. And then we make green, uh, woolen blankets for the army and, uh, sell to them. And they outfit, uh, soldiers all around the world with those blankets for keeping them warm. And, and we also sell them to the navy with a big U.S. emblazoned on them. It's Stenciled on, it's now woven in, but it's stenciled on, and those are sent to the Navy, and the Navy distributes them, then d- distributes them, then to the Coast Guard and the Marines as well. So I don't know what happened to the Air Force, but we we make uh, blankets <laughs> for every branch of the military except those who fly in the air. Maybe they don't need blankets up there. I'm not, uh, uh, we'll see. But of course, there are Navy pilots who sleep under them. So anyway, we've been doing that since before World War One. The uh, West Point blankets go all the way back to the early 1900s. So if you look at pictures of General Pershing, I think you can see uh, our blanket underneath the saddle of one of his uh, famous pictures of him standing with his boots next to the horse out in the Presidio. And My daughter got married uh, in San Francisco, and we stayed at the Presidio for uh, a real lifetime. Experience and there were pictures of General Pershing all over the place and uh, I think I saw one there. Anyway, it's we've been doing it for a long, long time. We often have people who are out of the uh, army now come in and and want to buy the West Point blanket in particular at, uh, as a gift or uh, to buy another one for the house. So it's something we're very proud of. We got a letter about four weeks ago now, right as everybody was starting to shut down. We were wondering if we were going to have to shut our plant and what we were going to do if we had to. And uh, we were w- talking about it among our leadership team, and all of a sudden the letter arrived from the Under Secretary of Defense uh, telling us that we are critical and essential because we are part of the supply chain for the military and we are, you know, serving our men and women in uniform. So um, we'll do about 50,000 blankets this year for the military. There are other suppliers who also do them, but, uh, not to West Point. And, um, the, the other suppliers, a couple of them are shut down. So we're doing more this year than we ever have before, at least in recent memory. So it's, uh, it's, you know, makes our employees feel really good. You know, when you're doing something for people who sacrifice the way our military people do and, you bring a little home to them. It, it's a great feeling for our people as well. They feel like they're serving the old the old line from World War Two. They also serve who sit and wait. And I think our people feel like you know we also serve who make great blankets for people.
1: Talk about the rest of of the products that you guys have available because it's not all just for the military. I mean, you have beautiful wool blankets and and oh, yeah. all the standard sizes. Talk about that as well.
0: Yeah, the company's been around since. 1865, so 155-year history. We're right on this beautiful waterfall in the Cannon River. Our plant has been added out to about four different times since the late 1800s, when the company moved into this building, or the first building in that area. And um, we, one time many years ago, sold a third of the blankets that were bought in the United States in a given year. So we've been around for a long time. The company's been through some classic American manufacturing hardships. It was shut down for two years, and uh, the looms and other weaving equipment were sort of mothballed and were almost uh, about to be packaged up and sold to Asia, where most of the production has gone over the last 30, 30 years in, in this industry. And instead, a family here in the Twin Cities decided to buy the mill and reopen it. The Moody family, which is a terrific family who care deeply about this state and, and, uh, this country. They're very patriotic folks and, uh, they wanted to keep that, mill, get that mill back up and running. So we make, uh, blankets for, lakeshore seashore summer activities we make blankets for for just any size twin size queen size king size bed with beautiful blanket um for at home our big thrust strategically has become better at and uh, try to really grow our business for the home decor market for the, the blankets that you. You know, you have down in the basement or in your TV room, if you don't have a basement, wherever that is, and on a sofa that uh, on a Saturday afternoon, maybe watching college football, you wrap around you. Uh, we do blankets for, speaking of college football, we do blankets for universities with their emblems on it. That, that's one of the most fun things we do, stadium blankets. Um, so we, we, basically, anything that you put over your body to keep yourself warm and cozy, we do that. We do do scarves. We do... Capes for women, shawls. We've got a lot of new products coming out for fall. We're completely redoing the product line when it comes to scarves and shawls and capes for this fall and for holiday season. Um, I, uh, I, I brought a, a, a desire to the company of really spreading our wings more. We have such a great brand name and so many great fans out there, but, um, we haven't given them enough, uh, reason to be, close to us. Uh, we need to give them more products that they can buy because, you know, you might buy a home decor blanket for, and change it up season by season, uh, but the bank blankets you sleep under, you might buy every 20, 30, 40 years. I mean, a lot of people inherit them from their parents. So uh, we need something that to keep this company going. We need things that people buy more often and give as gifts and things like that.
1: Paul, I've been a, a fan of, of the accessories at pretty much every place that you've been. And you've got some nice accessories available online right now. You've got some coffee sleeves and some wine bags and coasters and, and keychains and things of that nature. Talk about those.
0: Well, you know, put them our Best-selling items actually is a uh, coffee cozy because people want something that's a little classier than, than faux rubber to uh, put around a coffee cup or a beer can. So uh, those are extremely popular. And one, one thing we're going to bring back out this fall that we're uh, really excited about is a, a tote bag that's the leather on the inside or canvas on the inside, and then with a, a, a beautiful wool fabric around it on the outside, leather straps. This whole COVID crisis, I think, has taught us that we really do need to pay more attention to how we're interacting with nature. And, and I think uh plastic or papers is going to be less and less what people do at the grocery store. I think more and more it's going to be bringing your own bag of some kind and something that's kind of sturdy and that and looks nice, like one of these would be it a great way to solve the what do I carry my groceries out in kind of question or, you know, pack up towels and beach toys for taking the family to the beach or anything like that. So we're going to do a lot of those kinds of accessories for the fall as well. And uh, we're also doing apparel. Um, You know, this reason how I got into this business was I merged a startup company that that we had going on for a couple of years in, in men's apparel into the Faribault Wool Mill company at the uh really the request of the main Moody family member who was uh, leading the investment and my team came with me and we, we developed Men's apparel that's made in some of the great plants in other parts of the country, um, like Hickey Freeman in uh, Rochester, New York, and and, and some uh, Southwick in Massachusetts, Haverhill, Massachusetts. So we are uh, Haverhill, I think we say. I'm not, I can't remember exactly how they say it, but uh, uh, we're bringing that capability and marrying it with the ability to make. Wool and fabrics, and the combination of the two will be a real powerful and
3: unique made
0: in the u s a offering you now the what drives me in this say i I've been a lucky guy I, I could retire now if I wanted to I'm in my early sixties, but um these jobs are really important to the communities, whether it's our plant or the plants of of some of our other suppliers in in these towns and uh, I really want to help keep them going uh, and at the same time show American customers, that Made in America still stands for incredible quality and um, great craftsmanship. So I've learned that if you do things for for the right reasons, and the right reasons usually have to do with thrilling people, both customers and employees, the financials ultimately take care of themselves. So we're really focused on uh, thrilling our customers and adding to our employment and, and making our employees really glad that we're still working away here on Made in USA.
1: And that's the last point I'd like to get to uh, before I let you go is everywhere sure. you've been, one of the big pillars of what you what you've left behind and the things that you have stood for has been to keep the jobs here in America. Just talk about that why that's been so important to you over the course of your career. Well, I just
0: felt like uh in the seventies onward you know uh, and yet until today we've just been too willing to let our manufacturing base go overseas it's not that i'm against uh free trade i'm very much in favor of free trade i understand we have a global economy now but uh you know the worst thing that ever uh happened to me when i played baseball as a kid i loved baseball and you'd show up and for some reason you teamed in Get to play because somebody forfeited either your side or the other side because they didn't have enough players.
3: We, we've been forfeiting
0: manufacturing in this country at several levels, and it's an industrial policy issue uh, at our national government, but it's also a question of just will and um, and willingness to uh, to. Stay committed to these jobs and to these people, and you know, not everybody can program computers or wants to for a living. And we certainly don't want everybody flipping hamburgers for a living either. Not that you know, working in restaurants. We're learning right now with the COVID crisis how extremely important the restaurant industry is to employment in this country. But uh, you know, manufacturing is a very important part of any economy, and we've let too much of it go away from us. And uh, so, you know, I, I don't know. I uh, I just Sometimes feel like things that that are in decline are in decline more because of the lack of creativity than because that's what really ought to happen. It's it's not a natural law. So at Allen Edmonds, we've literally uh, tripled our American customer base in the ni- or uh, employment base in the nine years that I worked there. And uh, that was, you know, 600 new American jobs that were created uh, off of a base of about 300. And that was the most uh, rewarding thing I'd ever done in my life. And uh, i just like to continue doing that here at Faribault. Well, Faribault is a gorgeous town. It's got a whole bunch of buildings on the National Register of Historic Places, about 25,000 people an hour south of, mm-hmm. of the south edge of the Minneapolis city limits. And as I mentioned, it's on actually two rivers. There's a famous school there where Sidney Crosby uh, went to high school to learn to play hockey. It's called Shattuck St. Mary's. Zach Parisi went and played hockey there too. A bunch of NHL players have gone through shack And uh, that's an old school that that converted from a military academy into an academy that just wanted to have excellence in, the, in three to four different pursuits that they knew would be important to young people who might be wanting to go to southern Minnesota for school. And hockey was, of course, number one. And they're in tennis now and golf and uh, acting and music as other things that kids go to. So it's a great town. And these are really important jobs in the town. They're really proud of the company. Obviously, it bears the name of the town. And they want to cheer us on. And so it's fun, really fun to, and, and just gratifying, too. Make a difference like that.
1: Well, Paul, let our listeners know how can they uh, how can they shop and see all the all the great products that you guys have available online, and how can they follow you and and the company on social media as well?
0: Yeah, we're on all the social media sites. Uh, the company is spelled F A R I B A U L T Faribault Mill, so it's Faribaultmill.com. And on Facebook and Instagram at Faribault Wool Mill, you can find it. And uh, please check us out. We, we've we got 20% off for people who sign up uh, for their first order. And, you know, this, as I mentioned, we're on a huge new product development kick for this year. And there's going to be a lot of great stuff coming out. We have some terrific blankets coming up for Mother's Day, which be a great Mother's Day gift. So, um, yeah, please, FaribaultMill.com. And, Chris, you're great. We uh, really appreciate the chance to be on your show. Thank you very much.
1: Absolutely, Paul. You've been one of my favorites over the years. I can't thank you enough for your support and coming back. Best of luck with everything. Stay safe and uh, and healthy. And I hope you'll come back and update us as, uh, as new product lines become available and new things are out there. I hope you'll come back and talk about it.
0: We'd love to. I'd love to do that. Thank you. And you too. Stay safe, stay healthy, wash your hands.
1: <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. Take yeah. care, my friend. All right. Thanks,
2: my friend. Bye-bye.
1: See ya. That's a cr- the, the great Paul Grangard. And again, fairballmill.com, the site and the company, and, and he's been doing great things. And it, it's been an honor to, to know Paul over the years, get to know him better and better. And like I say, met him when uh, he was CEO of Allen Edmonds. And and one of the one of the most wonderful things that he continues to do, no matter where he's gone, is supporting our military personnel. They had great boots and and things that they offered when they were at Al, uh, Allen Edmonds, and now here with the blankets for the military, and uh and now like partnering with the Minnesota Twins to to support our uh, our hospital heroes and help keep them safe on the front lines. Uh, like I say, in the hospitals and the medical offices up there in Minnesota, and hopefully that continues to spread across the country. And I can't thank Paul enough for everything that he's done for our military, everything he's doing to help lead uh, more jobs to to stay here in the U.S. And then, like I say, for uh, COVID-19 and and supporting the local hospitals up there in Minnesota, all fantastic things. As they continue to come out with great products, we'll continue to ask Paul to come back and be a part of the show so you can hear all about it. Hi, right, folks. It is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Tee. My sincere thanks to Joe Daly, Andy Trainer, Tim Cusick, and Paul Grandguard for joining me tonight. Please check out our website, NextontheTee.net. On there, you'll be able to see what our guest schedule looks like, and uh, you'll be able to come back and, and check us out. Hopefully, you're making us a part of your uh, your weekly golfing content, and if so, thank you so much for doing so. You can also stream the show on a lot of great sites podcast.co. Those guys have been absolutely outstanding for helping us grow our, our listenership internationally. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Boom. If there is a favorite podcasting site, we're probably on it. Folks, thank you so much for choosing to listen to this show tonight. We know there are a lot of podcasts, a lot of golf podcasts out there that you can listen to. We can't thank you enough for making Next on the T one of them. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.